This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, I'm Sensei Michelle. Welcome to another episode, an exciting episode. Us, and I'm Sensei Jackie, and we are excited today. That's because we have a new guest. Yay! Yay! From the Weston Goju Dojo. Welcome, Sensei. Sensei Carlos, I really want to say hi and thanks for being here. Hey, happy to be here. Well, you know, we really like it when we have new guests. This is true, but we also really like our old guests. So if you're out there and you've been a guest many times, thank you. You're right, Sensei. But the reason I love having a new guest is because it gives us a chance to learn about someone's karate history. You are so right, but no pressure, Carlos. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see how it goes. (laughs) That's funny. Okay, so... We thought it would be fun to get to know you a little bit. Does that sound good? Yeah. And I want to start with the first question, which is, what age were you when you started in Master Shops Dojo? Okay, I got to do some thinking here. Hold on. (laughs) I believe I was 10, turning 11. It was the the end of the year 2005. So yeah, I've been been doing this quite a while. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. So... Do you remember anything from the dojo that was like a a story about when you were young and what was going on? Mm, Just a bunch of faces that I don't see that aren't really around anymore. You know what? Other than than Master Shop and and Master Master Proctor. Proctor. Yeah, that is so true, though. You know, I, I agree with that. I was thinking about who got their first stripe at the same time I got my first stripe, and I haven't got a clue, just sort of the face of the other people. So Master Collegian used to say the biggest dropping off point for martial artists is three strikes. That's when they drop off the most. And the second biggest dropping off point is brown belt, which you can see because brown belt is the rank of obligation in our style. Oh, it's a step up, Sensei. And the third biggest dropping off point is right after you get your show done. That's what he used to say. So Mm -hmm. here's what I'm going to say. If you're out there and you run a dojo and you agree or disagree with that, would you please let us know? You can reach us all over the web at Wildcat Dojo. We're on Twitter and Facebook and yada, yada. We're also on Instagram at Wildcat Dojo Conversations. That's it. And you can email us at dojoconversations at AOL.com. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, let's get back to it, shall we? Yes. If I got my facts straight, and sometimes I don't, you took a couple of years off after you got your black belt to go to college. Uh, Yes, that's correct. And then came back to the dojo, right? Yeah, every su- every summer where I would come to stay for you know, just a few months, I I would usually train uh, as much as I can. Ideally, I should have been teaching, but since I didn't really have much of a teaching experience, I was only in Weston for one or two months after I got my shodan. I would usually just almost shadow my my senseis and see you know more or less how they were doing it. Where'd you go to college? UCF. Ooh, big college. Mm-hmm. Did they have karate there? Um, fortunately, they didn't have any goju there. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you met a lot of interesting people, though. Yeah, friends and my major. And also, I didn't do karate, but I did manage to find the Taekwondo club there. Oh, mm-hmm. so that I, sounds fun. So I met some friends there. And uh, when I wasn't studying, we would hang out or party sometimes even. Yeah, just met an entire set of new friends, pretty much. Do you still keep in touch? With one or two of them, yeah. So let's take a second to do a little plug because you do some personal training down here. Yes, I'm currently a personal trainer. Do you have any openings in your schedule? For private clients? Mm -hmm. I can make them. 
So tell them how to get in touch with you. Um, you can reach me at my personal cell, 954-756-5582. If not, you can shoot me an email at carlosbp94 at gmail.com. I can actually see when I can book you for a free consultation so that I can get to know you, what your needs are. And then I can more or less organize a workout around what you guys need. That's so cool, right? That is great. Sadly, guys, that's probably a Broward County thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can fly in from anywhere. (laughs) If you're not in the area, it's not going to work out for you. But back on track yet again. I'd like to know, after you went to college and then you came back to the dojo, how was it? And were you uncomfortable, comfortable? What was it like? Well, I was going through, I wouldn't say rough, just more like a tough period when I was searching for jobs related to my major. And... It was kind of, it was a little depressing, honestly. So there was a time that I showed up to karate and then I regretfully stopped going after a while, trying to put everything together. Right. And, you know, I didn't do it in what I think was the most respectful way. I sort of like just stopped coming and sort of ghosted. I wish I could, I wish I could have uh, done that another way. But either way, on 2019, I started coming back a lot more consistently, showed that I wanted to be there, showed that I actually wanted to teach, took it upon myself to teach classes on my own, even though that's to this day, still a little nerve wracking for me. <laughs> I mean, I pull it, I pull, I, I pull it off. It's just more of an issue of, you know, me remembering like how classes are done by both of my masters and me having a bit of an imposter syndrome, nervous that, you know, when I run classes, like maybe I'm not disciplining the kids enough. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I'm you sure know? you're doing fine. And I'm also sure that when you did come back in 2019, you properly said, oops, sorry. And everybody said, look, let's push. Because that's what we do in karate, right? And I have so much respect for you that you you realize all these things and that you came back anyway. And that's growth. I mean, my goodness, that's strength and growth. Yeah. How awesome is that? I think, by the way, what was your major in college? I actually majored in graphic design. Oh, that is a hard play to find a job. Meanwhile, I want to say, going back to your sentence about you teaching by yourself, Master Cleijan used to say, second time I've used that in this podcast, Master Cleijan used used to to say, Goju is the system, but you are the style. And he would point to the teachers. And I know he said that in front of you since Jackie. Many many times, many times. And so I agree that those first few times of being on your own when you're a shodan and you're standing there and you're going, oh my God, my head's going to explode, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you will find your voice. And I'm sure that Master Shop and Master Proctor encourage you to find your voice because that's how it works. Each person finds their own voice and does it their own way. And it is a journey, a different journey, which is great because that is exactly what my next question is. The difference between being a Q in the dojo and being a black belt in the dojo, are they as different as night and day or what? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) That's okay. You didn't get the visual while all three of our eyes bugged out as we remembered. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just got a lot of stares and close ups, but um, (laughs) yeah. Well, well, in a sense, there was always this initial anxiety um, for performance. The the performances are obviously different. When I was a Q, I didn't know what was going on. I always felt like, oh, like uh, every time there's always going to be something new or something harder. So I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm always on edge about that. As I started getting my, as I started going up in rank, that just slowly started diminishing. But either way, you know, it was also the anxiety of, you know, disappointing my sensei or... That's the one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's it the is. one that holds people back. Um, that's especially since 
I was actually a kid when I was a when I was a color belt. Like I literally, right. yeah, like my my black belt literally came with it with my almost came with my 18th birthday. Wow. So my entire life as a minor was as a Q. And once I became an, a legal adult, that's when I got my show it on. Wow. <laughs> so you really grew into it. Yeah, quite literally. This is just such a perfect segue to the second half of this podcast, though. Think about it. Because the second half of this podcast is supposed to be about a karate set. And that also makes it fun because now we get to jibber jabber. Yes. I can't believe I used that word. <laughs> <laughs> About a, a karate saying. And the karate saying that we all three decided upon was our biggest opponent is ourself. Now think back five minutes in the conversation and how wonderfully this fits. Ooh, that's right. right. It's spooky how wonderfully it fits. All of that anxiety that came from you towards you. And I want to start out by saying I'm in a position where I have black belts under me, a number of them. And it's very difficult for me to reassure them that not only do I encourage them and want them to become their own person and not mimic me, but at the same time, I want to not create a shadow at all so that they can shine and find their own way. And so my point to you, Sensei Carlos, is your senseis have just as hard a job managing that uneasiness of that transition into black belt life as you have, but it's unseen to you because you haven't done it yet. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense because I am the cream in that Oreo cookie. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, you've been that you've been where Sensei Carlos is. Yes. And so I have my Sensei here at the table, but I also have black belt under me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going, well, do I want them to do this? Or how am I going to get them to do that? Who's going to help me? Who do I ask? Should I ask? Should I just do it myself? There's a million questions that I'm asking my own opponent myself. And each one of us is just on that road to growth. That's what we're trying to do. Wouldn't you agree, Sensei Carlos, as your experience in teaching since you've been home, which is a few years now. At least four, Sensei. That the growth as a black belt teaching is exponential. It's just huge how much you learn as a black belt teaching. Yes, massive. (laughs) (laughs) But not just about teaching, about karate itself. The material, right. The material. And by material, we mean technology. Yes, you're never done. Having that that mindset kind of helps me feel a little, you know, a little more calm traversing my karate journey as a black belt, knowing that it's not over. Like there's still things I'm going to learn and it's kind of pointless to be anxious and try to imagine being the perfect black belt because that's never going to happen. And I always make the joke. If you get there first, you're so going to have to tell me how to do, how you did it because I am so not there and I'm decades and decades <laughs> in this game. Plus, yeah, but um, we should probably get back on the exact saying, which again, I'm going to repeat. Our biggest opponent is ourselves. It's an old time saying. That's right. Actually, I've never not known of it. Like it's always been part of my karate memory. Would you agree with that? It's always been something people say. Uh, I hear it very often. Yes. And, and sometimes they say it to me specifically, and sometimes as a general statement about karate people. So, you know, it would be a fun thing other than anxiety, which we all have. We all have. It's very universal. What are some of the other, hmm, what word do I want there? 
I don't really want characteristics. Obstacles? Ooh, I like obstacles that we encounter that create that concept that we are our biggest opponent. Okay, I'm going to pause for a second so we can think. Okay, all right, we'll brainstorm a few. Magic of the pause button brings us back, and you are going to start us out, Sensei Carlos. We are talking about obstacles. I believe that's the word we landed on. Well, to elaborate on the topic of anxiety, there's a form of anxiety that I usually struggle with. I've been getting a little better. It's called imposter syndrome, where the people that you are learning from, the people that you admire, perhaps somebody in a tournament that you fear because of all the stories that you heard about his uh, record in that tournament, Mm. instead of thinking critically, okay, this might not be my tournament, but I wonder what this guy did to get there or what is his usual technique. Or when I look at the people that I admire, I say, instead of thinking, okay, what obstacles did they run into? Or how many times have they fallen in order to get keep getting back up and get to where they're at? In my head, I just uncritically visualize all the positive things, all the positive attributes like strength, their charisma, or you know, perhaps maybe they have like a beach house in Miami or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 and I just pedestalize them. I just look at all those things on the outside. I don't think, how did they work hard to get there? You picked a really um, intense characteristic to start with. So why don't we brainstorm if a person's going through that, because they might be going through what you're going through, a couple ways to counter it. What do you think? How do you do it? How do I counter it? Well, the most obvious one is probably not a very... Uh, well, it's not a very holistic way, but I just tell myself, okay, these are human beings. First off, they had to start somewhere. Maybe they had some advantages growing up. So maybe they had quite a bit of adversity that they either learned or maybe they were predisposed to, you know, having some internal strength or some source of uh, confidence that, yeah. that allowed them to push through. So can I rephrase that to say you, you try to look at it more objectively and not let your mind get so out of control? Yes. I think that's going to be, that is, the is your top three. Yeah. Like this is a, this isn't me coping by, you know, talking down about the person in my head. It, right. it, it's just me trying to understand, okay, like these people, they're ultimately human. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's all, there was always, obviously a methodology, like a, a process, a journey involved. Right. And I, and I'm, and I'm on the journey myself because now that I think of it, like back when I was a Q, if I looked at the way I was now, like I'd probably have similar similar opinions. Yes, absolutely. I 100% agree. It's so funny because I know that people who have met you want to be you. Really? (laughs) I think it's funny that you say like that, like you don't know. That's adorable. (laughs) Because when when we were at um, a tournament a while ago and you were judging and you held yourself well, a lot of people would say, young kids, who is that? It especially happened when you and uh, another black belt were doing a final exhibition sparring match. And all the people were standing around, wanted to know who you were, where you were from, were you a kid in karate? And you don't know that. But, right. But they do. You don't, what she means is you don't know that that was happening. Right. At the time, you were just being you. Right. Yeah, I was just focusing. You're so right. But I want to go back to the um, tools that we offer and say the one that I would add with the looking at it logically is the big breath to touch your own chi line. Because if you could take that breath down into your belly, right? Oh, man, it feels good when you do it, doesn't it? And then that kind of gets some of the fettered mind to quiet so that logic can come in. Do you agree with that? 
us just a little bit. So it's, it's a little it's a little harder to do in uh, packed environments. So if I see if I see someone that I admire, I, I suppose I can take a few deep breaths to remind myself of that. It's a little harder in tournament settings. Yeah, oh, of course, because it's a lot of loud voices, a lot of yes. yelling. So the more the chaos, the more mm-hmm. difficulty. Correct. Yes. But I'm also going to add with teaching yourself to breathe down into your cheek pocket. The more you do it, the more it will become an automatic, not response, but an automatic action. So then it's just part of who you are. Unless you're a miracle person, it's going to take years and years and years. Yeah, it's still but, taking years. Yeah, but you got to keep on trying. That's what I keep on doing as I keep on trying. Oops. And okay. keep on trying to remember. Any of these other um, obstacles that we're going to say, they're all going to center around breathing as the first course of action to counter it. Do you agree with that? I do because the one I was going to bring up is self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And it's so common for the person to doubt himself or herself or herself. And breathing is the first thing you have to do when you're, I don't know, I'm, I'm not good enough. Strong enough, fast enough, enough popular enough. enough, whatever it is, ugly enough, whatever. And <laughs> that was funny. But it, it is that deep breath that, that I have to take and then stand up tall and walk ahead no matter what. I have to start thinking positively, almost like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I like it. I think it's a good tag on to what you said. Don't you agree, Sensei Carlos? Oh, it's, it's, along the, it's along the similar line, Sensei. Yes. Both of them look outward for the answers. Yes. Yes. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because, you, you know, you have teachers. They're excellent teachers. You have role models, et cetera, et cetera. But somewhere along the line of the martial artist's journey, he or she needs to start looking inwardly for the strength and perseverance to overcome. And that is another tool we can put with the thinking logically, breathing, and instead of turning your eyes outward, turn your eyes inward and and think of a positive thing about ourselves to pull out of that spiral. Did I say that right? Yes. But sometimes people think that if they think positive things about themselves, they're going towards conceit, as opposed to knowing that everyone has positives as well as negatives, and they're probably pretty equal. That's interesting to me. I always say to my students the same thing. If you're going to obsess with your mistake, be that mistake private or public, I have absolutely no problem with that as long as you promise me that you will obsess with every single time you have success, then we're balanced, (laughs) aren't we? Yes. But if you're not going to obsess with your successes, then it's not okay with me that you obsess with your mistakes because your life is a 50, 50. You're going to get some of both and they come and go all day, every day. Don't they? Yes. So maybe someone should start writing down one or two things about themselves that are positive. If this is a thing they're going through, I 100% agree. And I'm going to take us home with the total opposite of what you guys are saying, but it's still an obstacle, which is an out-of-control ego. Oh. Yes. This is an interesting one, isn't it? Yes. I do think it has in common with the others, that if this is something you want to work on, because if a person does not want to work on it, nothing's going to make them. It's true. They could start with that big breath to bring themselves into their chi pocket, which is the center of 
I know you're going to kill me for this one. Centering. (laughs) (laughs) So ego, where are we going? Well, our dojo says, leave your ego at the door. To me, that just means any sense of uh, undeserved pride or any tendencies towards arrogance to leave that at the door. I agree with that 100%. But I would also add also to leave embarrassment and worrying about what other people think at the door, which I also think is a um, function of ego, just the opposite side. No? No, I think it is a function of, of ego. And I think it's really hard to leave it at the door. Oh, so that courtesy bow at the door, when you first learned it on your very first day of karate, you think nothing of it, but it turns out it's jam-packed full of self-responsibility. One of my favorite words, well, two words. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've tried to think of how do I do it? What do I do? So the only way I can is when I'm bowing. And I, I think that's why your head bows towards the dojo, not your bottom end. That... <laughs> I don't think she meant that as funny as it came out. Go ahead. But that, that, that your focus should go into the dojo. That's a good one. And I would say the number one thing that keeps me focused in the dojo is the technology. You know, we're busy. We're working. Whether we're working on something as simple as a backfish or whether we're working on something as complicated as a, a black belt level kata. The person is busy. Their mind is focused on the thing. No? Oh, yes, because if it's not focused on the thing, number one, you don't ever get the technology, which is difficult. And number two, you're showing disrespect to yourself and to martial arts. Right. I'm not sure that was the the fun one we should have ended on. (laughs) (laughs) But the point of the story here is it is challenging to continue to grow and change as a human being in life. But as we say, grow and change in the way of karate. Every single day. But isn't that the wonderful part about being a martial artist? There's always a challenge. You're never quite done. That's it. Yes. <laughs> and we, I love that about karate. One of the first things I realized about karate early, early on in my life, like I was still a white belt, was this. It's like an adventure you take, but on your insides, you don't have to travel anywhere to be there. And it doesn't cost any money. And it lasts a lifetime. I was so excited when finally I realized it. But for an obsessive person like myself, it's just a joy to be able to really try to improve every single day. It's also realistic because circumstances around you will be constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So your technology has to change along with it. As so, do all so. your skills. Yes. And as does the human being. Your body changes, your mind changes, and yet the karate will grow with you. Yeah, so when we tell you that you're never done with karate, so your senseis have an excuse to like, you know, keep you around for some reason. <laughs> it's, it's, because, it's because they it's because they know that the circumstances in the in the real world are gonna change and the yes. technology that we have to approach it with has to change along with it. Has to adapt. I love yeah. that. On that note, folks, it's time for us to call it. Thank you for being on the show today. Us, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it was wonderful, oh, wasn't it? Totally enjoyed it. When Landon hears it, he's going to be like, "Man, I should have been there." <laughs> so you know what that means. You're going to have to come back when Landon's here. Oh, we hope so. We do. Say good night. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Bye, everybody. And I'm going to sign us out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to ask our audience to please support our sponsor, Honor Athletics. You can reach her at 770-945-5150. Or the best way, I think, is to scroll down, look at the show notes, and click the link. That's you, nice. She's also on the web, of course, at uh, honor-athletics.com. And use Wildcat Dojo to get a 10% discount. Thank you, Cynthia. And thanks to our audience for being supportive of her. Yes.